Acts 16, verses 1 through 5 is our text. We're in the second missionary journey of Paul, and now not Barnabas, but Silas. Last week we talked about the divergence of Paul and Barnabas because of the issue of John Mark and how Paul didn't want to take him, Barnabas wanted to take him, and so they went separate ways. And now we continue on Paul and Silas's side on the journey. It says this, And he came to also to Derbe and to Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And kind of when he says that, it's kind of alluding to the fact that his father was an unbelieving person. Okay? Uh, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders uh, who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. And so the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. Amen. A little bit of context more. Um, these journeys that now Paul is on, uh, there was some issues that were happening in the church in Antioch and uh, people were saying to the disciples, you need to be circumcised. And so Paul and Barnabas go down to Jerusalem, work it out with the leaders there. They come back with a letter saying, hey, all of those folks that were t saying you need to follow these customs, disregard that. Just abstain from certain foods and live a sexually pure life. And with that, they rejoice, saying, thank God. And the church in Antioch was increasing. After that, Paul takes these decrees and he begins to travel on the second missionary journey, going back to the same churches he visited and established on the first journey, and he's delivering them. You know, all of those folks that were saying you have to be circumcised, all of those folks that were saying you have to live this way by that way, uh, disregard that, but abstain from blood in these areas and abstain from uh, sexual impurities. And with this, the churches were being told and taught on this journey. And it says that they received it with joy. And the churches were increasing and they were growing. That's a good thing that's happening. Okay? And so we'll continue to read through the book of Acts. And we're going to see the true legacy that Paul is going to leave. But I want to talk about how that relates to us in this term of legacy. Now, we've all heard of this word. Sometimes this word can be overused. I get it, right? I mean, what's your legacy? And we always think about that, right? And so uh, uh, that word legacy, you know, how, have, how is that attached to your life? As you think about what you are doing now, are you thinking about how that is connected to ultimately where you're headed and what you will leave behind as the legacy of your life? Are you interested in your biography, so to speak? That what other people will remember of you when you're long and gone in the grave and returned to your heavenly Father, are you interested in the mark that your life will leave behind for whether it be your family, your children, or the public, the community, your friends. Paul is establishing something in these churches. He's visiting them. He's, he's established them, and now he's going back to them because what he wants is the seeds that went into the ground. He wants to make sure not just that the seed made it in the ground, but he wants the roots to go deep. He wants there to be a lasting structure, a tree that begins to grow and bear fruit. And in order to do that, he wants these churches to be well established. Okay? 
And so Paul is building something beautiful in the first century New Testament church. If you and I are breathing, if we got a pulse, we are set up to make a difference. So if you're alive, if I'm alive, God has set me up to create influence in people, to, to create lasting change, to influence people for good and for God, right? That is our innate ability if we are living and breathing, right? If God has given you a personality, if God has given you resources and a breath in your, in, in your life, then we have the ability to influence somebody, but influence a good and godly one, a lasting one, is not automatic. Right? That it takes work, time, intentionality. Right? So this message, I want to talk about how we can build a meaningful, lasting legacy. Right? One that, that influences people for good and also towards God. And how that can last. And that's what we want to talk about today. The first point that you'll see in your outline is this. That when building a legacy, don't get hung up on Incidentals. Now, this word incidentals is a very subjective word, right? Because what's incidental to one person is not incidental to another. That's why people fight, right? Think about it in marriage, right? One person thinks it's not a big deal that I close the toothpaste. It's not a big deal that I do it this way. And the other person saying, this is a big deal. This is everything. And that's why there are these disagreements, or not just in marriage, but in relationships, in the workplace, that what when you think of something as, ah, eh, no big deal, and another person thinks of the same thing as, man, you cannot skimp on that thing, that becomes a point of conflict. And so I understand incidental is a very subjective word and under, uh, term, okay? I understand that. But what that means for you, okay? And when we think about what our life can be, what we could accomplish for God, it is so easy to sidetrack it, to derail it, and to slow it down, and to not quite get to the promised land, to not quite have all that God has for me, because I get stuck. I get stuck on insignificant things, things that I should not get stuck on. And it happens to the best of us. There is a phrase that really sticks out to me, and it, it's overlaid with this message perfectly. And it was a phrase that I heard at the conference that the praise team and I recently went to, that Heaven Come conference. One of the speakers gave this phrase, and it just hit me like a dart. And as soon as I was getting ready for this message, I saw it, how it applied. And it was this, fight the right fights. You break that down, we all fight something, you know. And what we engage in, in combat, this isn't necessarily talking about like, you know, negative fights. When we want to accomplish something in life, we have to engage with it, right? And when I engage with it, I am, I am basically uh, sub, like giving over my time, my energy, my resources and everything in order to attain what it is I'm trying to attack, right? And get in my career or life or family. And that phrase, fight the right fights, is I think so applicable to this particular point. Not getting hung up on the incidentals, right? Just this morning, perfect example. I mean, think about it. When we were younger, didn't we always fight the wrong fights? You know, that's, we spent all of our energy on frivolous things and the adults in our lives were telling us, hey, don't worry about that, right? Now we become adults and we think the very same way. It's interesting how it turns that way. And just this morning, God gave me the perfect example for this. And it happens through my kids, right? I get up in the morning and I'm up and I'm downstairs sitting on the sofa, just kind of meditating, getting ready for the day. 
One of the kids walks down, right? And uh, the other kid walks down later. Jacob comes down and he picks up a couple of cars, toy cars, right? And he's got a couple of them. He's playing over in the dining room area. And he's sitting there on the table. And, he, and I'm just sitting at my desk now at this particular time, getting a few things tidied up for Sunday service. Christopher comes over and he, he then goes over to where Jacob is. And he says, I want the car, right? And Jacob tosses him a car. He goes, no, I want the red car, right? And Jacob says, I don't want to give you the red car, right? And so now they begin to fight over a car, right? And now both of them are in a completely bad mood. I mean, we're talking about just one is standing on the table, looking down at the other kid, right? And his brother, the other one is just pretending to have fun, but really not having any fun playing with this car. And this is going on for a good hour this morning, right? One goes up, runs upstairs tucks himself behind the bed and just continues to play with this one car. The other kid follows him up and it is just going on and on and on. And I'm just watching and I'm trying to get a few things ready so I can't give all of my attention to it. But I finally go upstairs and says, you know, I, I say to one of them, you know, that's not how you play. When you play with something and you want it, you wait if someone's using it and you ask. You don't just say, I want it and take it. That's not how it works. And to the other person, I said, you took this. It was Christopher's car, right? And I said, you've been playing with it for this time. Is it that much fun to play with? You know your brother wants it. You don't look like you're having any fun, right? How about you give it over to him? And I, I'm sure that it's going to, to melt away. And still, they're kind of digging in their heels a little bit, both of them, right, in pride. And all of this, all of this expenditure of time and energy, all of this that was, even the joy that they had in playing was gone. It was forfeited, right? They, they let it go. Why? Because they were hung up on one particular car, the Red Optimus Prime. That's the wrong fight. That's not how to engage in this. They both lost so much this morning. Now, in the grand scheme of their entire lives, they really didn't lose a lot. All they lost was an hour this morning on a Sunday and a little bit of hurt feelings. That's it, right? They didn't hit each other or anything, right? And so in the grand scheme of things, I realized they didn't give up that much. But if you think about it, that was completely the wrong thing to fixate on. And because of that, their joy was lost. Time was lost. They didn't lose any money but the intangibles. Right? But then you transpose that from a childish example of two children to adults in the workplace, in the family. How often do we fixate and say, this is exactly what I want, and we make it our fight. We lose sanity, peace. And we trade it all in for anxiety and worry and an unsettled nature. And we're fighting for this. But in the end, it's like, man, I just needed to let that go. And finally, when we're able to let it go, we're like, man, why didn't I do that earlier? I feel so much better. Right? And we get hung up on stuff that really is, in my estimation, an incidental. An incidental. Right? And it's kind of like in the Bible when it talks about success and not every success being a good one. Let me give you an example. Joshua was succeeding 
Moses as the leader of Israel, and as the transition was taking place, God comes to this trembling young man who is just shaking in his boots in fear of this million plus people that are now dependent upon his leadership. And in this situation of of trepidation, God speaks into his life and he says, Hey, don't be afraid. Don't tremble. Be strong. Be courageous. I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to fail you. I'm not going to forsake you. And this is exactly what I want you to do. I want you to meditate on my word day and night. Don't go to the right or to the left. Stay on this path. I'm going to lead you. And in the first chapter of Joshua, let me give you one verse. Verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have a good success. Why the addition of this description? Why say good success? Because, and I think we all can understand, there are bad successes. There are moments where we obtain the degree or the promotion or the money or the relationship that we fought so hard for, but it really wasn't a good thing for our lives. That not every pinnacle is a good one. That not every achievement attained is profitable for our future, for God or our faith or our relationships. Just because I get a promotion, it doesn't necessarily mean it's good for my family. Right? And so you will have a good success. Not just any success. Not just having the people. Not just leading them to a place. But when you do that, it will be good for you. Right? And so not every success is a good one. Just like not every fight is a good one. And so fight the right ones, the good ones. Because fighting, it depletes energy, focus, time. It takes it all away. Every time I engage in a fight, every time I'm fighting for something in my family or career, my personal life, I'm literally trading something in for that fight. I'm saying I'm going to trade in my time. I'm going to... To, to use up blocks of my schedule. I'm going to take out my wallet. I'm going I'm to sacrifice for this. I'm going to give something of myself in order to attain this. And I always trade something in when I engage in a fight. That's why I need to fight the right ones. And I need to make sure I allocate the stuff that God has given me, time, energy, resources, to the things that are actually meaningful for what God has for me. Because I can spend my entire life busy every day, Monday through Friday, even on the weekends I feel exhausted, busy. And at the end of it, that doesn't mean we're fulfilled. Fulfillment, satisfaction, and a sense of accomplishing God-given purposes is completely different from being busy. Anybody can be busy. Anybody can trade these things in. But at the end of it, what am I trading it for? That's when wisdom comes in. That's when I need to reassess and allocate those things properly. Right? And I see it in our passage. Paul didn't get hung up on incidentals, right? He didn't. In my circumcision, like, I don't know, like from Paul's perspective, it might have been incidental. From Timothy's perspective, it could have been very different. Like, whoa, whoa, where, where are you taking that thing? <laughs> like, what? Right? And so, of course, it's kind of subjective there, right? But as Paul saw Timothy, right, he saw this young man, so much promise, right? And Paul knew this guy does not have to be circumcised. I got a letter to prove it from the church in Jerusalem. That there is not a person here that even in your adult, don't worry about it. You don't need to be circumcised. 
But Paul knew he's taking a bicultural young man, a biracial basically. He's taking a Jewish Greek young man. Mother was believing Jewish. Father was a Greek, probably unbelieving, right? And so he knew where he was taking this guy because he saw a promise in this young man. I want to take him under my wing and he's going to accompany me to the re- on the rest of this journey. But he knew where he was going. He knew the communities that he was going into, taking this man, and he knew for certain that there would be people in those churches that he was going to that would get hung up on this man being uncircumcised. They're just not going to accept him. I know it's going to create a delay in effectiveness or time. And so to Paul, wait a minute, you know what? I know you don't have to be circumcised, but trust me, if you just do it, your life and influence will be that much better. I promise you. You don't do it because of law, but just do it because where you're going, people are going to get hung up on the fact that you're not. And if you can get your mind over the fact that you should or could do something that you don't have to do, but you do for the benefit of your legacy, I want to know, I want you to know that it's worth it. I think that's a very mature choice. Think about it for a second. You don't have to do it. How often do we start? I don't have to do that. And we lose our peace and our joy because somebody feels like, you know, they won't accept us for this or they're demanding something of our lives and we feel like we're free not to do it. And suddenly we assert it and say, no, I don't have to do it. Right? It's, it's not important. And we lose out because of our pride. And I, I see something so beautiful there. Something so wise. Also, I think the fact that he was this bicultural person, you know, I think the ultra-conservative would have got hung up on the fact that his, Timothy's dad was an unbelieving Greek, right? I mean, think about it. You know, you got this ultra-conservative uh, person, and you're thinking about who are people that are equipped, ready, and the right person to lead the early church. You're probably looking, have this picture of this candidate in your mind, and I think Timothy wouldn't have fit, fit the picture. You know, hey, uh, I got one parent that believes. Oh, I don't know. You wouldn't have been raised the right way if your dad's that way. How easy is it to get hung up? You look at a resume of somebody when you're hiring somebody. You're looking at all the small stuff, and you're looking for those incidentals, apparently. And that's what Timothy's resume would have looked like. Unbelieving Greek dad. Whoa. Leading the early church? I don't think so. I think it calls into questions some things. I think too many relationships don't move into deeper realms because of incidentals. Well, think about the relationships that broke in your life. Not just intimate relationships. Think about friendships, work relationships that aren't at a place where they could be. I guarantee you you'll find some sort of gripe or misconception or couldn't get past a failure. And if only at that time you could see with the eyes you have now, really wasn't all that important. That relationship could be in a very different place. And it really has to do with how we view it. And so when building a legacy, don't get hung up on, that, on the small stuff. Don't sweat it. Allow it just to say, you know what? I know I could assert my pride right now, but you know what? It's just, it's not worth it. I'm not willing to trade in my legacy for this. I'm not willing to sacrifice this relationship for this failure. 
I'm not willing to, to let go of promise and influence because of this tiny thing. You need to choose not to get hung up on it because it's so easy to. I mean, if we just look back at the short history of our lives, we can totally see how we got hung up on the small stuff and how we handicapped our influence, how we cut short a relationship because of that. And so I'm saying, when trying to build influence that's godly and good, don't get hung up on the small stuff. Second, when building a legacy, wisdom, perseverance, and sacrifice are required. And I think Paul really uh, epitomized all three of these in his relationship uh, as he was establishing these churches, as he was building these churches. And I want to kind of talk about these three ideas of wisdom, perseverance, and sacrifice, and how Paul, just in our passage, exemplified them. I mentioned to you Timothy, right? Like this issue of circumcision. Like, for Timothy, I mean, you, you put a knife to anything at an old age. It's like set. It's like, ah. For Timothy, it might have been a bigger deal. But for Paul, he was saying, you know what? Trust me. Get over it. Get over the fact that you don't have to do it. But if you do do it, your ministry will be so much bigger. That's what he's saying to Timothy. Get over it. Think, think of this with a bigger lens. You need to broaden your scope for a second. You need to get off the fact of asserting what's right or you have to do right now and get on your eyes on to the picture of what's possible in your life and ministry. And he's training Timothy this way. There are Jews in these regions that will get stuck on it. If you want 80% of your conversations not to be about circumcision, just get it done. You'll talk about so many other things. You'll open the door to so many other places if you just get this done even though you don't have to, even though the law doesn't require it. I think that's wise. I think that's teaching this young man to get his eyes straight on the right thing, on the prize, and not get hung up on the small stuff. It takes a tremendous amount of wisdom to think that way. What does this mean for your family or career? What are the, what, what's the eyes of wisdom now that you need to be able to look at the situation and how will it really sh to cast a different light on it? How can you look at the same coworker differently with eyes of wisdom? How can you look at the same failure and overcome it and look past it because of eyes of wisdom? How can you let go of pride and move forward to new realms and places and lands because of eyes of wisdom? How can this apply to your life? What's slowing you down? What's hindering you from, from moving into different spaces? How can you really take away the negative conversations simply with eyes of wisdom, making choices that way? That's exactly what Paul was doing here. Right? He had him circumcised. Perseverance. Remember Paul? He was stoned at Lystra. He's going back to the same region that they were casting stones at him. They thought he was dead. Remember that passage that we read? He was there. You know, people were inciting the folks, and there was this big old mob, and they stoned him, and they dragged him outside of the city thinking he was dead. So it, from their eyes, he wasn't even breathing, right? Not a twitch, right? As good as dead, they dragged him outside of the city to be eaten by the birds and die there, right? Just, I mean, decay there, sorry. And all of the, the disciples, they all surround Paul like with eyes of mourning, basically. And there he gets up on his feet. Like, Whoa, I thought you were dead. What happened? And then he gets up and he goes to the next city. Remember, that's, that's the city he's at right now. Right? There are still people in that city that wanted him dead. I get, they didn't go anywhere. Where did they go? They didn't go up and move. 
And so still in the same place he's going back, there's people that wish him dead. It takes perseverance to build a legacy in these churches. Right? You know, too often we encounter one hurdle or hardship or setback or failure, and we say, oh, maybe it wasn't meant to be. And we don't get past it. We don't try again or the third time. We don't definitely get to the fifth time because, you know what, oh, I had all the signs to say it wasn't to be. People were trying to hurt me there. But often the legacy that God wants for us happens because we overcome the hardship, the failure, people rejecting, the lack of, whatever it might be. And we need to be able to, to, to push forward. We need to be able to stand back up. We need to be able to re-engage the places that were difficult. We need to be able to re-engage the people that were difficult. Perseverance, without it, I guarantee you, the legacy will be small. Guaranteed. There is absolutely no way to build a good and godly legacy if we are not willing to persevere. And that goes against kind of the dispositions of our generation, doesn't it? Where gratification needs to be immediate. Where results need to be tracked. And oh, if I don't see it, we're going to cut off your funding. Right? If I don't see results in a month, boom, you're cut off. That's our time and age now. The internet, tech age, right? Where everything is quick and should be accessed, measured, and, and, and really reassessed on a just, a, man, we're, we're, you're, come on, let's get it done. But that heart that really builds something for the Lord, where life is leveraged for a greater legacy, it happens because we're willing to push through. We're willing to re-engage failure. And we realize that we can grow from it. We can be better, well, better, more equipped for a future re-engagement. And we must, must, must persevere. Sacrifice. We live, I mean, in a day where travel is very, very comfortable, convenient. There's a lot of things that you can describe travel, right? I mean, our luggage uh, is great. It carries everything we need. It's lightweight. It rolls. You know, People carry it for us. They, they ship it to wherever we got to go. You know, we got delivery companies, we got airlines, we got transportation agencies, we got so many things at our disposal, and all we need to do is press a, a button on our phones, and it's right there at our beck and call. Travel in our day is quite easy. Technology and researching has, has made uh, travel routes and accommodations like a snap, like a breeze. We don't take out any cash anymore. Everything is automatic. Follow-up. Everything. We have planes, trains, and automobiles. They had like caravans and donkeys is what they had, right? And so we live in a time where travel is very easy, right? We can, in five hours, go from coast to coast in this country, right? Five hours, that's about the time frame Paul would need to travel 10 miles. Right? It wasn't easy to take this journey and to go back to the churches. I know you might have wanted to, but it's one thing to want to go back to see them, and it's another thing to actually do it. Have you ever said to a friend, oh, you know, we should catch up sometime? It's easy to say that. Everybody wants to catch up, right? It's easy to say, you know, 
you, you got a friend that lives over in Florida or in Europe or wherever it is, yeah, you know, one of these days we should definitely get to, we should do something, we should travel and do this together. Everybody can say and wish that, but it's another thing to say, you know what, let's buy the ticket. Let's actually pack our bags and go, right? It's different. And it's, it's, it's exponentially more difficult for Paul, right? Because, again, all of the ease of our common day travel with the difficulty of what he must have faced, right? Packing food, clothing, like everything. It's like, do I really need to do this and pack this and take it on this journey? I mean, it wasn't easy. And yet Paul and Silas, they make the decision to go. Because Paul was willing to sacrifice comfort, time, energy, all of these things because he knew he wanted to, to revisit those churches, to strengthen those believers, to deliver the message. And a legacy is built because people are willing to sacrifice. If I'm not willing to, to pay for it, if I'm not willing to count a cost, to take up a cross, if I'm not willing to, to invest something that's meaningful in my life, I'm, I'm really saying I don't want a legacy. That's what I'm saying. I don't want to leave anything for my kids. I don't want to make a difference in my workspace, in my career field, in my generation. I'm saying if I don't want to sacrifice, I'm saying to myself, I don't want a legacy. Because these are built through sacrifice. It happens because I'm willing to be uncomfortable. I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is. I'm willing to put my resources and my time and all of this stuff to the place that I say, you know what, it's going to make a difference here. And I need to sacrifice it. If I'm not willing to put a buck there, I'm really saying it's not important. I don't, I don't want anything to do with it. I, I don't expect it. And so wisdom, to, to, to map it out in the beginning, to say, is this really important, right? It's like that person who's planning the city, building the tower, whatever it is, planning the trip. It's beforehand saying, is this going to be the, the way to get the best results? Right? It's that wisdom from the very beginning, looking at it as a master builder. Okay? The perseverance is saying, once I start, I need to make sure I have the mindset to finish. I'm going to expect the hardship. I'm going to expect all of that. But I have the mindset right from the beginning that I'm going to persevere. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get there. And sacrifice is saying, on the way, I know it's going to be uncomfortable, but I need to make sure I'm willing to put my name on that check. Right? Wisdom, perseverance, and sacrifice. I close. Praise team, you guys come back. I close with two statements, and the first is, fight the right fights. Again, that's just that statement, and I'm saying it to you again. Reassess the fights that you're in, and make sure you're fighting the right ones. To Paul, I wrote this down, I just, I'll read it for you. Timothy's influence in the first century Jewish and Gentile Christian community was more important than asserting his right to not get circumcised. Don't trade your legacy for pride and stubbornness. And I think too often we do. Secondly, be motivated by love. If you think about sacrifice, working for God, His kingdom, building up churches, strengthening believers, be motivated by love. Be motivated by love. Right? Because if you have that motivation, sacrifice comes natural. When we love, we give. When we have affection for, we chase down. Be motivated by divine love. Amen.